It's poverty. It's crime. Unemployment. Corruption. Accountability. The energy crisis. Inflation. We are worried. That South Africa has myriad problems on all fronts is a given. But the time has come for us to look for real solutions. I'm Jeremy Maggs, and this MoneyWeb podcast will discuss those solutions on how South Africans can solve problems by having tough conversations and drawing on the insights of South Africa's top business leaders. Welcome to Fix SA. Hello, everyone. I'm calling this the Rubber Hits the Road edition. Rudy Dix is the head of the project management office in the private office of the president. He's got a big job. He's responsible for supporting the implementation of the Presidential Jobs Summit Framework Agreement, the president's youth employment initiative, as well as, and here's the important part, unblocking regulatory challenges that impact on employment and economic growth. Just by way of background, in his previous role, he was a deputy director general at the Department of Planning, Monitoring and Evaluation. So really sits right in the middle of the Fix South Africa debate. So welcome to the Fix SA podcast here on MoneyWeb. I'm Jeremy Maggs. And just to remind you, we ask our guests every fortnight how we can make things better. How do we improve matters? How in the shortest space of time can we become a competitive and successful nation? Rudy Dix, a very warm welcome to you and thank you for agreeing to do this. As I've just mentioned in my introduction, you sit in a very unique position on the biggest possible scale and you deal with big projects. What do you think needs fixing? Um, thanks, Jeremy, for inviting me along and um, you know, also thanks to the listeners. Quite a bit needs fixing. I mean, we need to be frank and honest. Um, you'll recall when we launched the Operation Wooden Lena, I want to fix that as a as a measure of what we need to fix, because when we did that modeling, right, on the five areas, when we said we need to fix energy supply, we need to fix ports and logistics, we need to fix bulk water, we need to sort out our visa and our visa system for both tourism and work visa, and we need to fix telecommunication. Now, those five areas are quite phenomenal and important to fix because when we did our modeling, as I said, we um, realized that if we do fix that, that would add about three to three and a half percent on growth baseline. So those are important areas. And I, and I think that still remains the biggest challenge. Our biggest challenge right now for economic growth, for inclusive growth, for employment, for investment, is fixing our energy challenge and ensuring that we reduce and eventually eliminate load sharing and getting past that to work and to improve on its uh, efficiency. That's the main focus mm-hmm. that I think we should be looking at right now. Those are all big issues. Energies, port, water, yes. visas and telecoms, and obviously energy is the one that worries us all. Before we deep dive into that, do you think that we have the right mindset, the right philosophy, the right approach uh, to getting this right? Because you will agree there is just so much despondency right now. It almost seems too big a hill to climb. I mean, Jeremy, there is a history to this, and I think that what we've seen during the state capture years is a complete, and I've seen this myself. I mean, I was there during those times. I mean, we developed a very capable state at some point in time. We were on top of our game to support implementation. We were partnering with the private sector. The decimation of the public sector, and I'm not talking only about national provincial government, I'm talking about the quasi-state, the, uh, the SOEs, the entities that are there, that decimation has had a significant impact. What we are seeing is a 
slight improvement and the continued improvement of the ability for us to develop the capacity and to be able to deliver. The mindset has to be about citizens. It has to be about how best can we deliver on services? How best can we get economic growth? How best can we support poor people? And that mindset, I think, is something that largely many people speak critical about. But in the work that we've been doing in the last two to three years, we see that changing. I mean, it's painstaking, it's labor intensive, it's getting people to see things very differently, it's getting people aligned, it's building that trust and partnership with citizens and communities, but also with business. And for me, I think I think it's coming through. It's going to take many, many years, though. But we have to get South Africa working. We have to get the public service having a different mindset in supporting service delivery, in supporting partnerships and collaboration. But you also have to get society to support us, and that's important. And for me, I think this is, a, this is going to be an ongoing task. And it doesn't happen in a vacuum. It has to happen when we do and deliver on things. And this is going to be the important task for us and, and, and what we're doing right now. You raised two issues. One is a negative and one is a positive I want to put to you. First of all, you talked about in the recent past us falling off our game. Um, how do we or how did we fall off our game in that respect? Was it entirely because of the scourge of corruption or was there more to it than that? That's the first question on the negative side. The other thing which you say to me is that we are starting to see incremental change. That's a good thing. I want to reflect on where you see that change happening and whether it's happening quick enough. But where did we fall off our game? Let's go there first. I think that state capture has played a significant role because what you needed was to decimate the public sector, take away skilled people, take away the competent people, take away those who had worked pretty hard, frustration, you know, and I think that that has been an important part. But that's not the only story because mm. I think that's quite critical if one looks at the level of government. You know, I think also that at a level of service delivery, I think, and I don't have to say that that's in the public domain when we look at the Auditor General report at the state of local government, for instance, and our ability to address, for example, basic services. These are important factors that have been there. Slow decrease in the ability for us to be able to ensure that we meet uh, basic services. And we see that dysfunctional municipalities are focused on all that. So I think it's a confluence and a combination of different factors. And I think the state capture period did not help. I also think that, you know, we've now, um, if, if one looks at it from a generational point of view, we had democracy in 1994. We're kind of one generation into our uh, democracy. And, and in a sense, what does happen if one looks at the political economy of many of those who have moved from an anti-colonial period through to a democracy, you need a kind of reset, you know? You need to refocus. What has been our major focus? We've done quite a bit of delivery. We needed to consolidate and we needed to look at what are the areas of growth going forward. And I think that's a useful way of trying to think about where we're at right now, a reset, an ability to be able to refocus, to rebuild, and to be able to say this is the kind of objective going for. You talk about the fact, Rudy Dix, that we are starting to see change happen, yes. but the pull-through is very slow. We're not seeing evidence of that in terms of uh, job creation, in terms of economic growth and general investor confidence. Yes, yes. I think for me, it is going to take some time Jeremy, I don't think it's going to be something that is overnight. We have to build confidence and trust. Let me use a good example. Our partnership with the private sector, in particular organized business, is a bit patchy. And I think the president, for instance, had made a concerted effort during the course of last year to develop collaboration. Now, 
announcing a collaboration, announcing 140 CEOs that are partnering with government is not going to make changes. It is us actually working through those issues, those three things, as the core things, just the logistics and crime. So for me, I think there's a level of positivity in the collaboration. We have to move much more faster. We have to make sure that we measure our deliverables and ensure that the impacts are felt much quicker. So it's not going to be quick, but I think that is there. There's a full commitment between ourselves as government on this end and private sector on that collaboration. And I think the mere fact that private sector can speak positive about that and where we go into global forums, where we go into local forums, I think that's the message that has come through. Of course, there are going to be instances where there's going to be negative um, and, and still messaging that are critical of it, but it's important. I mean, that's a society. We are noisy society. And uh, criticism is important. We need to fix and make sure that we move along and consolidate and build on to that. Do you think the private sector is as, as, as buoyant as perhaps you're suggesting? You talk about a patchy relationship uh, that, that exists, and I accept that. Why is that? Is it a trust issue or is there more to it? I think it's largely a trust issue. I think it's important that we need to be quite clear around the role of the private sector, our economy is designed in that particular way where the state plays an important function and role as a development uh, entity, as a state that uh, sees the importance of delivery on um, basic needs, on social infrastructure, on basic education, providing all sets of different interventions to support people, poor people. But at the same time, also delivering on growth for that to be able to happen. And I think it's quite important that the signal first, and we need to have a a good understanding on the role of the private sector. And I think uh, largely if we are able to express that, uh, able to signal that, I think that's where trust uh, becomes a big thing. And, and you can only build trust by having the collaborative effort, and that's important for us. So I do think a large part of it is trust. A large part of it is that the conversations broadly, just about issues of economic growth without focusing on it. And that's why I like the way that you develop that partnership. I mean, I've, I've spoken to business leaders and I've spoken to colleagues within government. And I think the uniqueness of that partnership that specifically focuses on key deliverables is something that can enhance that trust and can say to society broadly, we can work together. There's a common interest of ensuring that we end our electricity insecurity. Um, there's a common interest to ensure that we want to improve efficiencies of port and rail. That's important. We have to do similarly for other parts of society, including communities where local government has impacted on us. And that's kind of importance for us. So it's not just with private sector, but it's also with communities and with society broadly. I dare say this, Jeremy, I don't think that all the businesses, I mean, I think we've got the top CEOs, but the rest of the business, small and medium-sized owners, have to see that, and that for them is going to be important, that they have to be confident enough. So it's important for us to build on this and be able to cascade that to small and medium-sized, to those businesses that run this economy, that make sure that they get the jobs in. And perhaps at that level, the level of confidence is not sufficient and hasn't cascaded through. We need to build mm. on that. All right, let's talk about that cascading to smaller business in just a moment. But would you concede businesses' frustration oh. sometimes that government moves too slowly? Oh, absolutely. Even amongst ourselves, we concede to that we need to move at a greater level of speed. The president makes that really clear on many occasions that for us, we need to move much more faster. We need to be much more efficient. We need to, where we lack experience and expertise, bring them 
bring them in outside of the public service. So absolutely, I think that's quite critical. That's why I think for us right now, we need to ensure a greater level. The OV projects that we've done was to try and show many of them. Let's take the spectrum. I mean, we've been debating the spectrum issue on whether we auction spectrum or not, and that's 4 and 5G spectrum, for almost 10 years, right? It took us all over a year and a half. Now, of course, many people will say, so why don't you do it sooner? Well, again, context matters. But we did it when we started at the end of 2020 with the old OV project. By 2021 and 2022, we were able to auction that. The implications are quite you know, amazing to see the level of investment, prices being brought down, uh, efficiency in the system for uh, digital and tech. So, yes, we have to move with speed and we can do that. There is no stopping us from doing that. But we're not. And part of your job, Rudy Dix, is unblocking regulatory challenges that exist in order to achieve that speed and efficiency that you refer to. What is your unit doing in order to, to expedite that? I mean, the one area that we're trying to do, of course, is to ensure that we deal with those five areas in Operation Hulingela. And announcing those changes doesn't necessarily mean that they come through urgently. Let's use 2022 as a good example. When we made the change to the Electricity Regulation Act to allow for better generation thresholds to change, right, and completely removing that, for six months we couldn't understand why these projects that everybody had asked for for not being announced. What we did was to set up a red tape unit that eventually uh, eventually morphed into an energy one-stop shop. That energy one-stop shop is now run by the DTIC. We initiated that in partnership with the private sector. And there were a whole set of regulatory hurdles from land use to environmental impact assessments to the registration process itself, which was 90 days, have been reduced on average to 19 days at NERSA to um, getting grid access, for instance. We did that. And similarly, I think we want to ensure that that happens elsewhere. The president announced in 2022 also the setting up the red tape unit and, of course, course, in heading that, we're focusing on a whole set of issues related to visas, for example, tourism and uh, public permits for drivers. We're looking at setting up a whole set of other areas also to be able to deal with the red tape. It is systematically trying to get that kind of thinking and change, as you said, the attitude around wanting to ensure that we deliver services as quickly as possible. We started this, and I think what we need to do is ensure that we roll and cascade it out, as I've said. But there are pockets of success, Jeremy, Mm. and I think that's what we need to build on. I'm not denying that you and your colleagues are committed and that the work is happening, but there is a sense that South Africans are not feeling and seeing that progress. I agree with you. I think there's a significant perception out there amongst many South Africans not seeing that, and we need to make sure that the messaging gets out. At the end of the day, I think many ordinary South Africans look at it from their point of view. Do I have to stand for hours in line at the council to sort out my bills or turn around if there's a water breakage. Why does it take uh, two to three days to be able to do that? We must admit that. And it's quite important for us to be able to ensure that all these citizens also feel the changes that we do around reducing rate for businesses at the end of the day. A lot of work lays ahead, Jeremy. I I can't deny Mm -hmm. that. And I think it's important for us to be able to ensure that at a provincial and a local level that we do see reductions in rate. That's the focus for us over the next few months. You, you're absolutely Thank right you. in, in saying that the real problems often are at local and provincial level. And again, that's something that your office has very little control over. 
That's also true, but having stops us from supporting, for example, premiers of setting up ATEP units within the offices that has the same attitude and approach towards trying to reduce inefficiencies in the system. It's about smart tape, isn't it? It's about ensuring that you're able to uh, deal with a whole set of regulatory and permitting issues at provincial and at local government levels. So you're right. I mean, we don't have the same amount of power as we do at national level on permitting authorization where we can pressurize, for example, on EAAs to be reduced or land use changes to be reduced. But it doesn't stop us. And I think this is exactly why the red tape unit has been set up um, under my office so that we are able to work with provinces and with municipalities in reducing that inefficiency. That's the start. You know, we're talking with provinces, we're talking with metros. We're having a lot of support from different partners out there. But you can't simply say we don't have the power over municipalities and uh, provinces and fold our hands. We have to find mechanisms to support them to do to deal with those um, permitting and authorizations that increases inefficiencies. Rudy Dix at the, and excuse the metaphor, but as the spider that sits in the middle of this very complicated web, what is your biggest frustration on a day-to-day basis? Biggest frustration is that we're not moving fast enough, Jeremy. That's my biggest frustration. And I see that. I see that there are significant changes and steps that we can do to expedite and move fast. Um, second biggest frustration, and probably linked to that, is the fact that I think um, the frustration of many citizens on basic services, we all feel it. The fact that we're not able to, for example, eliminate or reduce load shedding and that we're working pretty hard. Uh, it's very frustrating, but it requires for us to stay the course because, as you see, reducing load shedding and eventually eliminating load shedding so we can become energy secure is very, very important. But I think the frustration is that we need to move much more faster much more efficiently. We need to ask for help when it's there. That's the one thing that's uh, kind of face every day. That's my job, right? Every single day seeing that why can't we uh, make decisions and implement it as quickly as possible. Rudy, you said to me that we are a noisy country and uh, a thriving democracy depends on noise and that is a good thing. But do you think your job would be easier if there was less political noise and anger? No, I don't think so. The noise is important. Um, you have to manage it in a manner that I think is quite critical. Get on with the job. We are bureaucrats. We are not politicians. Um, we have a job, irrespective of which political party is in power, irrespective of, of what we have to do. We have to professionalize and ensure that as public servants, we play the role of delivery and implementation, um, that we deliver the services to ordinary people, that we create opportunities for businesses, and small businesses, that we so I think it could not be different. I, I think it's, uh, it's the nature of South Africa. I would not want to sit in a quiet society where people all say to you, wonderful job, wonderful job, keep it up. We want to hear the noise. It's what makes us. It makes us then um, slightly sharper at the edge as to how we need to deliver. So, And we need to manage it. That's going to be quite critical. This year is an election year. Um, you know, do we stop services? Do we stop the noise? No, of course not. Uh, do we stop our ability to implement what we've committed to? No, no, no. We continue that, um, whether it's in this term or in the next term. You referenced a moment or two ago um, the importance of asking for assistance, asking for help. We're not very good at that as a country. Why? It's a strange thing that I can't quite figure out why we don't ask when we have quite high levels of expertise. Uh, it's just... I don't have an answer for that, but more recently, we've been quite open in asking for help. 
you know, I mean, the fact that we have people that we will be deploying and have already deployed at ESCOM. I mean, experts that are engineers that have worked at ESCOM for many, many years, that have gotten experience globally and have come back and offered their services and said, look, I have this level of experience on what to do with this power station or with that power station. I was there 10, 15 years or 20 years ago. Similarly for Transnet, you know, I mean, Transnet has this thing, once you're a rail person, you're a rail thing, mm. a rail person, now for life, ports also. So I can't answer that, but I, I think what we have is an opportunity where you actually see that partnership being unfolded. And quite interestingly, in the last few weeks, Jeremy, in when we were trying to deal with the backlog of the congestion at the ports, this was partly the partnership with the private sector or the fact that you were able to deal with the unfortunate incident of the, the locomotives crashing on the North Corridor line um, private sector pitched in and said, how do we help to remove that blockage? I mean, in a record time, by, by Wednesday evening, the one line was accessible, and by the next day, both lines were accessible. So it's quite an important area. I mean, it's just that we need to build on it. Uh, I suppose it goes back to the issue of trust, right? I mean, are they uh, intent? Um, is it self-interest? Is it because people want to help because it's for themselves? I think we need to get beyond that and uh, that there are genuine people who would want to help, that they're offering their services, mm. some of them pro bono, for instance, you know. So let's build on that. I think, I think again, we can speak about the, the partnership that the president has initiated. You know, tens of different people have offered and are being, um, you know, put through supporting uh, SOEs and uh, government departments. There's a conversation that we're having on the backlog of visas, for example, and visa processes, and the private sector has put up their hand and said, we can offer services to try and get rid of that backlog, and that would have significant impact. So again, I think it's how we manage that, how we get that going and showing that South Africans do care and that all of us are able to help each other. I want to come back to a point you raised a little earlier about the importance of small and medium businesses. Uh, you rightly say that uh, you've got the big chief executive officers. If they don't always agree with you, they are at least uh, talking and sitting in the same room. But that's not happening with smaller businesses, often described as the engine or the turbine of the South African economy. You spoke about a cascade strategy. What is that? I mean, it's important that we need to create a thriving environment for SNMEs to grow. You, you're right. It's the, it's the engine of our economy. That's where the jobs are going to be created, the hundreds of thousands. It's not going to be the big employers. That's where the investment and the risk-taking is going to take place. That's where we have to get them to get authorizations done. Cascading, that would be for us to be able to ensure that we do the most basic. How do we do what we do? At a national level, when we engage with big business and the big investors are re- um, improving efficiency and rating, how do we do that for businesses that are in one municipality that are frustrated around water services or the roads that are not working? That's the cascading effect that we're able to impact on municipalities and prov- provinces where those small businesses, where there's a one firm that employs 10 to 15 people and hundreds of thousands, millions of them in actual fact, you know, two million of them, who employ that number of people. That's what we're talking about, how we introduce efficiency across the system and not only for big business so that we're able to do that. Big focus right now for them is energy and energy insecurity. They don't have money to buy big generators. Some of them have, of course, um, systems to support uh, investments in rooftop. Bounce back scheme is one of them. And uh, the other incentives that are provided. through. So how do we make also resources available so that we small support small businesses? 
anyone that runs, for example, and has three or four people that runs a parlor, a nail or a hair parlor, as soon as the electricity is gone, your money is gone. You are not able to take any customers. Rooftop PV generators mm-hmm. to be bought, all those kind of things. That's the importance of a combination of resources that can be done through the fiscus and ensuring that we introduce efficiencies and systems to be able to ensure permitting and authorization. That's what I'm referring to now. Let's finish. Let's finish with this. There's the old cliche that you can't manage something if you can't measure it. Let's talk the very short term. Let's talk 2024. After this uh, comprehensive conversation that we've had, how would you define some successful goals, measurable Hmm. success? Stabilizing and turning the corner of our freight logistics system, transit being at the center. That for me is the most important part. I think there's a level of stabilization creeping in, although there's still a high level of unreliability on the on the ESCOM performance. But if we can, in this year, significantly reduce load shedding and end it, that would be an important success for me going forward. Rudy Dix, thank you very much for that frank and honest assessment of where we are in South Africa right now and what it takes to fix it. Thanks for listening to this Fix SA podcast. For more episodes posted every second Friday, go to moneyweb.co.za, the MoneyWeb app, Apple Podcasts and Spotify, or follow MoneyWeb News on social media for more updates. MoneyWeb, your trusted source for business and investment insights.